0: Pulpit Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pats Pulpit Podcast. It is a wonderful Tuesday morning here with you, breaking down Patriots Bills, Patriots Dolphins, and the week that was in the NFL. I am Alex Shane here with my good buddy Rich Hill. Rich, how are you, buddy?
1: I am doing well. You know, the season, three quarters over right now. I'm surprised by how quick this year has has passed. But, you know, Patriots had a perfect third quarter of the season. They went 4-0. you got to be very, very happy about that. Personally, I'm excited for the winter to get here. I feel like the the cold is finally arriving. Uh, Alec, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. It's funny. I'm here in New York City, as you know, and it's a pretty nice, like, Early to to late 50s, early to late, uh, <laughs> mid to high 50s. Uh, I was in a, a, a t-shirt and a hoodie. That was fine. I'm okay with the way the temperature's going right now, so it's not as cold as it usually is around this time of year, at least in New York City. Up in Foxborough, however, it's getting a little chilly. That's when the Patriots have to play their best football. Tom Brady had a great November. He's off to a great start in December, a pretty good win over the Buffalo Bills. Pass did not look great, but they got enough done to secure the victory. We're going to break on that game. Lots to talk about in Patriots, Bills, offense, defense, special teams, and a bad, bad boy named Rob Gronkowski. But before we get to that, Rich, uh, around the league in a week that was in the National Football League, as of this podcast, it's Monday night, the Steelers are beating the Bengals, so that, excuse, excuse me, the Bengals are beating the Steelers right now, 10-0, let's hope that score holds up, but since that game's still in progress, any game happened on Sunday, Rich, you want to talk about that surprised you or caught your eye?
1: Yeah, there were a few that took place, and you can take your pick on which one you want to break down a little bit further, but the, the Ravens just drubbed the Detroit Lions 44-20, to 20, which is a surprise to me, because I did not expect that. That. the Ravens would have any sort of offense with Joe Flacco showing up right now but they seem to have a, a good running game figured out right now with Collins out of the backfield they have a solid boom bust sort of receiver duo with Macklin and Wallace and you know Ben Watson old, old man Ben he, he's still he scored a touchdown so he's still floating around the league Jimmy Garoppolo got his first win in his first start for the 49ers led a game-winning drive against the Chicago Bears so that is fantastic to see the Jaguars destroyed the colts 30 to 10 and blake bortles had himself one of the the top you know five six games of his career so we can talk about whether or not he is legitimate the miami dolphins just annihilated the denver broncos and uh a game that i think is the most important one to talk about or at least the most interesting one the new york jets put up 38 <laughs> points against the kansas city chiefs chiefs lost 38 31 they are now six and six in a three-way tie atop the AFC West with the the Los Angeles Chargers and the Oakland Raiders I think that would be a good place to start Alec what do you think is going on with the chiefs right now is there a real chance that they won't make the postseason and how do you see the AFC West playing out
0: Yeah, and it's funny, you know, I think earlier on in the season we are talking about how three of the four divisions were more or less locked up and it was really all about the AFC South. Who's going to come out of that trash fire of a division? But now it's definitely flipped on, and, and I have no clue what's happening to the AFC West. The only team that stinks is the Broncos. They only put up nine points against the Dolphins on the road, which is pitiful. But if you can't beat the New York Jets, despite the fact that you're on the road at the Meadowlands, you put up 30 points and you allow the Jets, led by McCown, to put up almost 40 on you especially after what they started. I think they started up, it was 14 to nothing. They they scored their first two drives. They can't finish games. Andy Reid ceded his play calling to the offensive coordinator. It still didn't get the job done. I don't know if it's a, a mental toughness thing. They have the talent and the personnel to be a good football team. They just can't seem to string a consistent game together. And I'm starting to wonder, Rich, if maybe their hot start, that 5-0 start uh, led off by that on-the-road victory at New England to open up the season, maybe got in their head a little bit. They got too big for their Andy Reid-sized britches, which is saying (laughs) something. And they kind of just never really got a chance to – once they got punched in the mouth, they never really recovered.
1: Yeah, well, they've lost six out of their past seven right now. And their defense has not been good for some time. They – have kind of like in the the New England boat where they give up a lot of yards. They rank 30th in yards allowed, yet they still manage to be 15th in in points. So they can't defend the pass. They can't defend the run. They signed Darrell Rivas in the hopes that he could possibly be their savior. Not looking too hot right now. Meanwhile, the Los Angeles Chargers are breathing down their necks. They've won six out of their past eight. And then the Oakland Raiders are just wildly inconsistent. I have no idea what they're going to end up doing. But if you look over their final schedules, I'm going to read this out to you, and I want you to to let me know how you think they'll fare. The Chiefs, their final games, their first three are at home against the Raiders, Chargers, Dolphins, and they finish on the road against the Broncos. You got the Chargers. They host Washington. They go on the road against the Chiefs and the Jets, and then they host the Raiders in the finale. And then you have the Oakland Raiders. They finish three out of four on the road. They're at the Chiefs. They host the Cowboys. And then they're at the Eagles and at the Chargers. How do you see these three teams finishing their season, and why do you feel so poorly or badly about the Raiders and what's going to happen to them over the next four weeks?
0: Oh, man, what a... What a wild finish this is going to be for the AFC West. What a great schedule. I mean, I, you and I, I think, in April when the schedule first came out, we were giving the NFL a lot of flack for screwing the Patriots over, but they were clearly focused on the AFC West and what a battle this was going to be. Based on those games, based on that final slate, I think that, honestly, I am going to say the Chargers take this division. I think the Chiefs are going to maybe go 2-2 two and two at best. They'll probably win at home and, and lose on the, lose the, um, and, and the Denver game, but they'll lose two of those. The Chargers can definitely win out. I mean, they didn't look great this past weekend, but it was against the Browns and that's really not a benchmark at all. The Raiders are gonna just collapse. You can just see that coming a mile away. So I think the Chargers come out. They finish maybe nine and seven and win the division. I think the Chiefs go seven and nine, eight and eight. Maybe the Raiders go eight and eight and only one team comes out of the AFC West and that's the Chargers.
1: Yeah, and that'll be just a surprise finish if that takes place. You know, the Chargers started 0-4, the Chiefs started 5-0. To see both of those stories flip around would just be incredible. And that puts some added weight on the Week 15 game with the Chargers at the Chiefs, similar to the Week 15 game where the Patriots are at the Steelers. So that Week, week 15 is really going to have a lot of repercussions for how this AFC playoff seating is going to play out. Uh, But other than the Chiefs just not looking good and having their future not look good, are there any other games that kind of caught your attention? Do you want to talk a little bit about Jimmy G, or do you want to just jump right into the Patriots?
0: There's one thing I want to talk about. I want to congratulate Jimmy Garoppolo. He's still undefeated as a starter. I hope his career goes well. Not too well for the next couple of weeks, because I want that draft pick to remain in the top three. Uh, One thing I want to touch on briefly before we break down the Bills game, Rich, is that the Baltimore Ravens, do they suddenly have an offense— and are they someone we have to worry about as that sixth seed? Because if things play out the way we want them to, and the Patriots take care of business in the last next couple weeks and get the home field advantage, their first game at Foxborough will most likely be Baltimore. You earlier in the year mentioned you are not in the slightest bit worried about them as an opponent. Have you changed your tune at all about the Baltimore Ravens?
1: You're going to make me eat my words right now. So with the yes. Baltimore Ravens right now, uh, so they're 7-5. and five. They rank 13th in points scored per game and third in points allowed per game. So they are very, very well rounded. They're doing an outstanding job this year. They are kind of riding their three shutouts uh, against the Cincinnati Bengals, the Miami Dolphins, and then the Brett Hundley-led Green Bay Packers. So those are not great benchmarks to hold, but they are a solid defense. There's no way around that. Any team that plays them is going to be lucky to put up twenty five points and that's the Patriots included and So it'll come down to the Baltimore Ravens offense and whether or not they have one and That's just boom bust still i'm I'm firmly in that camp where you have Mike Wallace and Jeremy Macklin. There are a few quarterbacks in the league more reliable than Joe Flacco at drawing those down the field prayer defensive pass interference calls. And if he happens to get those, then the Ravens can go toe to toe with anyone. And so the New England Patriots investment in their secondary would be the deciding factor. Hopefully Malcolm Butler and Stephon Gilmore would (laughs) not fall for those pass interference calls and would instead intercept them because, you know, that's what they're there for. I still am not fully trusting the Ravens, but, you know, they have four more games this year. They're at the Steelers, at the Browns, before they host the Colts and the Bengals. If they're able to score over 25 in each of those games, then, yeah, I'll be a believer. And I, I think that they can make as much noise as anyone in the AFC.
0: Well, I hope it doesn't happen again. We talked earlier on in the year. I would love to see a playoff field in which a single, every team that beat the Patriots in the postseason, which is basically the Raiders, I mean, excuse me, the Ravens, the Broncos and the Giants are not in it. that would be nice to see you Makes me a lot more peace of mind. Uh, you mentioned boom and bust with the Ra- regards to Raiders offense. What a great transition, I think. There was some booming and some busting going on late in this Buffalo Bills game. I think we have to open with this, get it out of the way, lay it on the table. Patriots won, yes, but I think the talk of the town today and this week is going to be Rob Gronkowski and what he did to White on a blatant cheap shot, dirty hit. Game suspension, probably a big fine, and the cost of a game check, potentially incentive bonus now gone. Early thoughts on the suspension, the Gronk hit, and how do you think it all played out, Rich?
1: Yeah, I mean, Gronkowski definitely deserves a suspension for what he did. There's no world where a player should be able to take, you know, such a, a ridiculous cheap shot in the back of a player's head, concuss him. You know, put him in the concussion protocol and walk away without anything. You know, he... <sighs> forced Tredavious White to miss a game, possibly, so therefore it's fair that Gronkowski misses a game as well. And with the league's focus on safety, or you know their, their supposed focus on safety, we could talk about that for hours, but with this notion that they have to at least feign like they care about player safety, they couldn't let Gronkowski not be suspended with that, especially so late in the game, an ejection, should have taken place as well but because it was so late and ejection really didn't play so he's gonna he deserves to to miss at least one game i wouldn't be shocked if uh It's upheld during his appeals process. But I actually was expecting the league to issue a two-game suspension for him because of how egregious it was, how premeditated it was based off of him looking at White on the ground and then deciding, you know what, I'm just going to drop my elbow with my entire body weight into the back of his head. And, you know, I I wouldn't have been surprised if they were like, all right, you have no prior issues, so Gronkowski will reduce it from two to one. But I I think one game is is a must based off of what he did in that situation.
0: No, I agree. The only thing I take issue with regarding this conversation is the people that think he's guilty of, like, aggravated assault and should be on trial. And he's some kind of, like, animal comparing him to Vontae's Perfect. And he's not a dirty player. He's not a bad guy. This is his first offense, and I'm not excusing him in any capacity. But it's funny, if you go back and watch the replay, you can actually see this moment where his human brain shuts off and Gronk brain shuts on and Gronk Brain is not something you ever want to see in real life. It's just a meathead, smash-everything kind of mentality. I get he was frustrated, but... If you're Rob Gronkowski, you have to understand, you've been in the league for a long time now, and you're just not going to get defensive holding calls. That's just the way the league works. Again, I compared it to my fan If It's like Shaquille O'Neal in his prime. Defenders could literally hang off his back as one well for the dunk. The rest weren't going to call it. That's just part of the rules. It applies to him, and that's the way it is. And he has to realize that he can't do that. And I have no problem with the suspension. I don't want him to appeal it. I have no, I'm okay with him sitting out against Miami, come back for Pittsburgh. Uh, I hope he learns from this. I hope we never see it again. And to those people who are defending him, I think you should go back, watch the replay, see how bad a play it was, really bad look. And if the league somehow manages to lessen his suspension to a fine or whatever, I hope Belichick takes it on himself to to do something for Gronkowski here.
1: Yeah, well, there will be, if uh, if anything plays out right now with Gronkowski and how he currently stands from a production standpoint. So right now he cracked his 800-yard Bonus, you know he has another one at one thousand yards and another one at twelve thousand. And you know he's probably gonna hit that twelve thousand or the the ten thousand get that extra or sorry the the one thousand and get that extra two million. But with him being benched or being suspended, his odds of reaching that highest tier of incentives are pretty much, out the window unless he gets you know first team all pro which again is unlikely if he's missing two games and Travis Kelsey continues to produce like he has so Gronkowski could be missing out on two million dollars if he if he doesn't or if the suspension is upheld and that's a that's a big lesson to have in the the grand scheme of things I think that You know, Dredavious White's brain is more important than Gronkowski getting $2 million, and that's why I think that the suspension should be upheld. And, you know what, hopefully he does learn his lesson. I think he has. He apologized for it, and he knows that he did something wrong. Bill Belichick himself apologized to the Buffalo Bills head coach, called the hit BS. So everyone is on the same page with this not being an okay thing to do for, for Gronkowski. And so... Even if the the appeal goes through, Gronkowski is reinstated and he's only fined, I wouldn't be surprised if Bill Belichick said, you know, we're going to do uh, some team imposed penalty right now where you have to sit out, you know, drive a quarter, a half, or something like that, just as, as a note for the rest of the players on the team that you can't do something like that and put the team's success in jeopardy, put another player's health in jeopardy, and get away with it. You know, even if the suspension is lifted, I think that there will be something that takes place by Belichick.
0: Yeah, I hope so. I mean, again, I I have sympathy to the degree that football is a violent sport. And I think we've all been in situations where we've lost our cool and did things or said things we shouldn't have done. And that play, if you look at the replay, he got held twice and he got pushed. And Brady got picked off because of that, and the refs didn't call it. And it's not excusable, but I think we've all been in situations where we've made a stupid mistake, and Gronk made one, and hopefully that white's okay, and I'm not going to sit here and, and say it's a, it's any anyway forgivable, but uh, hopefully this is the last we can hear about this. And it's too bad, because it really overshadows an amazing day for Gronk. Nine receptions for 147 yards, total dominance. Every single time he comes to Buffalo, he totally rocks the house. Very quiet first half for Gronk, and the Pages in general, but they turned it on in the second half, particularly the third quarter. Rich, going back, looking at the All-22 of this game, how did Buffalo control the Patriots in the first half, and how did they adjust
1: in the second half to pull the game away? Oh, it was all about pacing. And I, that was probably the fastest first quarter that you will see this entire season, where you know, the Bills, their first drive was over seven minutes long. When the Patriots got the ball back, there was you know roughly half the first quarter left, and but Tom Brady responded with a you know six minute twenty one second drive of his own that fourteen plays, and so the way I see it, or the way that I saw it on tape, is that a lot of teams kind of have a script for the opening drive in the sense that they know what they want to do. They want to test to the other team, see what their weaknesses are going to be, see how they schemed or planned on defending them, and so. That opening drive by the Patriots was simply a test to see what the Bills were going to do, how they were going to cover each of the individual players, and I think it was telling that they wanted the Patriots to run the ball. They didn't want Tom Brady to throw it at every single player down the field. They were committing a lot of players to dropping into coverage, making sure nothing took place, and when they got into the red zone, you you saw that. You saw that the Patriots were limited to three field goals and when they were in the Bills' territory in the first half. And so the the Bills' defense said, try to run the ball. If you can do it, we'll let you do that, but we'd rather you take these long, extended drives. We're not going to let Brady find Brandon Cooks. And eventually in the second half, the Patriots were like, okay, we're just going to run the ball. And Dion Lewis and Rex Burkhead just picked up, you know, a billion yards in the third quarter, touchdowns on both drives, and that was when that was all she wrote. So, the, there wasn't really a like a, a plan to stop the Patriots in the first half. It was more just a matter of the Patriots saying, "All right, you're you're not going to give us the pass. We're just going to run it and there's nothing you'll be able to do about it."
0: And man, did that work. Dan Lewis had 92 yards on 15 carries. Rex Burkhead had, had... 78 yards, which I think felt like more than that because some of the, the yards he got, he's so good after contact. He has this really weird – it's not quite a spin move he does. It's like he lowers his shoulder and, like, allows momentum of the hit to, to spin him around for an extra three or four. He's really coming into his own. I guess the we, the emergence of Rex Burkett between the tackles back is one of the reasons why Mike Gillis has been a healthy scratch for the past year or so. And I love the fact that when the Patriots are not passing the ball well – they'd say, all right, great, we'll just run it with Deion Lewis and Rex Burkhead. And they were able to do that successfully. Not the best day for the offensive line from a pass blocking perspective, particularly my boy Joe Tooney. He did not play that well. But, man, did they run block well, particularly – Shaq Mason what a season he is having I think on both of the big runs from Lewis and Burkhead Shaq Mason was the pulling guard and he just leveled whoever it was got the second level of the the defense and Lewis Burkhead took it from there really pleased with how that worked out and the versatility of the Patriots really starting to shine through
1: oh seriously and for back-to-back weeks they posted over 190 rushing yards that is incredible Dion Lewis has really emerged Rex Burkhead is doing a great job spelling him and they are just a fantastic Fantastic duo to watch, I think that the Patriots really need to consider extending both of them because they are free agents after the season, and they provide such great value because they're able to to run, they're able to catch and they're able to block, and there is already so few of those players available in the league. I wouldn't be surprised if they were both, you know, worth $3 million per year deals, but I think it's worth it, especially at that position, especially with Brady at the age of 40 and the Patriots offensive line doing such a good job lead blocking. They just provide such great flexibility for the Patriots offense where teams just can't stop it. They don't know what to do and they can't handle it. And so back-to-back weeks, 190 yards on the ground. This is the, the winter. You know, we're, we're getting into December, getting into the postseason where the Patriots need to be able to run the ball, where the teams that can control the clock and can play great defense are going to win. Patriots have had the best defense in the NFL over the past nine weeks of the year. They have been outstanding on the ground. They have the best quarterback in the league. Can anyone stop them? Like, What, what is the weakness you see in the Patriots right now?
0: I think the weakness in the Patriots is a very good running game and a running back who can generate yards after the contact, which is a lot of running backs like Le'Veon Bell and uh, the Saints with the rookie that come out of nowhere. What's his
1: name? Alvin uh, Kamara.
0: Yes, Alvin Kamara. Where the hell that guy came from? Teams like that that have a really solid running game. The way the Bills actually open their first drive, they can keep Tom Brady off the field. The Patriots are not great at stopping running backs right at the line. They always tend to fall forward for a couple of yards. So I can see a really good running game eventually wearing the Patriots down. However, other than that, and I guess the pass rush isn't fantastic. So a really mobile quarterback who's accurate, like a Russell Wilson, who could just run around back there for long enough, can can eventually damage the Patriots. But other than those two very specific things, I think the Patriots have done such a good job understanding what they have to do, how to get themselves where they need to be late in the season, and they're really rounding into form in all three phases.
1: Yeah, they they are just such a balanced team. I mean, as you said, I mean Rex Burkhead put over 100 yards on the day. Deion Lewis had 92. Gronkowski, before his just dumb, dumb move, 147 yards. He had an outstanding day. And with Chris Hogan hopefully going to return in the next week or two, I wouldn't be surprised if he were available against Miami Dolphins, especially if Rob Gronkowski is suspended. If Chris Hogan returns and Brandon Cooks continues his ascent as one of the best young receivers in the league, there's just so much talent and potential, and don't even, like Marcus Cannon can return as well. There's just so much to be impressed by, especially with this Bills defense that has been pretty good for most of the year. But if the Patriots are able to run the ball the way that they have over the past two weeks against some very good run defenses, then the the sky is the limit for them, quite frankly. And you know, if anything does happen, I'm with you. The, the big weakness is the Patriots run defense because the depth at linebacker. The depth at, on the edge is not fantastic, but if that's your biggest weakness, then if you build up an early lead, then it doesn't really matter.
0: No, totally. You know, I think that's what the Patriots did. Once the Patriots were up by basically 10 points against Buffalo, and they couldn't run LaShawn McCoy every single play, they just had nothing in, in the, the toolbox to make it work, and it made it very one dimensional. As Tyron Taylor proved, injury or not, hopefully he's okay, but injury or not, he's just not a great quarterback and he's just not the answer for them long term. We talked about the run game, Rachel. You talked about the run game and how well Deion Lewis is playing, how well Rex Burkhead is playing, James White spelling both of those guys when needed. Do you think that Mike Gillisley will ever see the field against the Patriots? I don't know.
1: To be to be quite honest, <laughs> I think that they'll keep him around just to stick around for the negotiations if they'll try to extend Burkhead and or Lewis. I could see them only keeping one and maybe drafting a player, but I I don't think that there is a scenario I see where Gilleslie comes back for this season. I think he's just going to be a healthy scratch until someone else gets hurt, and hopefully that doesn't take place. So we could have seen the end of Gilleslie, which is a shame because he was a very efficient runner, all things considered. I'm still in the camp that the Patriots just grossly misutilized his abilities and could have thrown him the ball twice, and he would have had such a more open field to run between the tackles they just didn't do that but I, I don't know if we'll see Gilleslie again and to be quite honest I don't know if they need him just this year because Burkhead and Lewis are running just as well between the tackles as Gilleslie was and they provide value as blockers and receivers so say la vie. Burkhead has been scoring that was kind of the only purpose that they really had with Gilleslie and so he doesn't have a role anymore especially because Burkhead and Lewis all play on special teams, so Gilsley doesn't really have much to offer.
0: yeah, hopefully we'll see Mike Gilsley in week sixteen and seventeen as the Patriots are wrestling their starters primarily. maybe he runs himself back onto the team with that. Um, you know, and he can be like a January LeGarrette block, kind of just grind out yards when it gets really cold. But I don't know. The good thing is it's a good problem to have. You have more running backs than you need. You've got a guy who'd probably be a starter most places in the league. A healthy scratch because you're so deep at the position. And even though we don't have that, that Corey Dillon style kind of every down workhorse back. It's really refreshing to have a dangerous, versatile running game to compliment Tom Brady and the receivers. And I think as we've talked about all year, Richard, that offensive line, that running game really opens up the passing game and Brady's starting to get more and more comfortable with these guys. And I'm really looking forward to this last quarter of the season.
1: Yeah. And when, as I said earlier, if Chris Hogan gets added into the mix, who knows what this offense will be capable of because he has his rapport with cooks. He has it with Amendola and Gronkowski and with Hogan. And then these running backs, I mean, This offense could just be incredible, and they're getting matched with just a completely outstanding defense. Holding the Buffalo Bills to three points uh, is just a great job by everyone. The fact that they got another interception by the goal line by Eric Lee, the best defender in the NFL, and (laughs) that Stephon Gilmore was targeted on three out of four passes at the end of the game by the Bills, defended all of them. This defense is really pulling together. They're stepping up when they need to. They're very, very clutch. And all of a sudden, surprise, surprise, they're now a top 10 defense in points allowed, and you have one of the top five offenses in the NFL. I, this team, I'm just so amazed by how this defense has found an ability to turn around after those first four weeks. And while the Bills don't have a great offense, as I talked about on our pregame show, it's LaShawn McCoy and nobody else. But to limit all of the receivers to fewer than 22 receiving yards on the day, 22 Zay Jones at 22, Deontay Thompson at 21, no one cracked 22 yards, that's just a great day in the office. You have to be happy with that.
0: Are you concerned at all still about or at all continually concerned about the pa- lack of pass rush? I know they got to the, the quarterback a couple times against Buffalo, but it wasn't like a, a massive kind of swarming pass rush. Three sacks of Tyrod Taylor, one sack on, on Nathan Peterman, no sacks on quarterback feed on Joe Webb. But what <laughs> can you do? Do you think that lack of pass rush will come back to bite them against more confident quarterbacks, or do you think that they've been able to mask it well with the blitz packages and the secondary being so strong?
1: Well, I'm actually I was actually surprised that they were able to get three sacks on Tyrod Taylor slash Nathan Peterman, and then you add in they had an extra like five hits on the day. So uh When they play quarterbacks like Tyrod Taylor, you can loop him in there with the Russell Wilsons and the Cam Newtons and the Alex Smiths and the Aaron Rodgers, where they're not going to sell out the pass rush because they know that these guys can do so much damage with their legs that the Patriots were actively saying, you know what, let's not sell out the pass rush let's make sure that tyrod stays in the pocket because he gets antsy he doesn't have great accuracy when he's forced to stay in the pocket and as a result he completed only nine of 18 50 so i don't think that they wanted to to sell out i don't think that they wanted to have a great pass rush in the sense that they wanted them to sacrifice any of their gap integrity to take Tyrod down I think they would just rather keep him in there and hope that someone else makes the play down the field and we saw it time and time again over the game they were able to pull off the play
0: Absolutely. You know, again, I think what we talked about just on the offensive side of the ball is just the versatility the Patriots offer. And I think we're starting to see that, especially on the defense. They don't have that one player, as you talked about. You have to game plan around. Gilmore might be becoming that guy, honestly. He might be becoming the kind of player that you just don't throw to. Uh, I don't want to give him too much credit against the Bills because who is he covering? Really nobody. Up. I think Zay Jones, I think, was his guy. And that's not really a, a tough assignment. But still, he's played lights out the past couple of weeks. I don't think this secondary is anything to sneeze at whatsoever. David Harris and Kyle Van Noy have both been godsends in their role. And maybe we should talk about this because it's the Bills. Eric Lee,
1: where'd this guy come from, Rich? And how does keep find these guys? Eric Lee, I believe, was constructed in a lab about four weeks ago. I don't know. I mean, Tony Romo could not get enough of Eric Lee. And, I mean, I'm just going to run through his stat line. Four tackles, one and a half sacks a quarterback hit, a tackle for loss, an interception, and a pass deflected. What a day. What a day. He I believe that he was like fourth or fifth on the team in snaps, which means that he's I mean he's been with the team for what 3 weeks. They signed him off of the practice squad of the Buffalo Bills. He spent some time with the Houston Texans. So he was kind of aware of the Bill Belichick defense courtesy of Romeo Cornell and Mike Vrabel, but it's not like he was like, experienced in it by any means, but within a span of two, three weeks, he's an integral player of this Patriots defense. You will find... No one on this team that gives more energy than he does on a down-to-down basis. He's already leading that edge defender rotation in snaps, and when Trey Flowers comes back next week, I would not be shocked if Eric Lee were the guy starting opposite of him because they like what Lee can do. They like the flexibility that he offers that Adam Butler and Dietrich Wise don't. Not in a not in a sense that they don't have any value, but they're more of a defensive end, defensive tackle hybrid. So when the Patriots do their five man front, they go on the interior, whereas Trey Flowers always stays on on the edge. And Eric Lee offers the ability to play four three defensive end as well as you know that that edge player in the five man front. So they like his, what he can offer dropping into coverage. Clearly, he got that interception by the goal line. So I don't know. Where or how Eric Lee just be just jumped off the map, I hope that this isn't just a flash in the pan and that he's just another great find for the Patriots, because it would be lovely if they had Trey Flowers in the past five quarters we've seen of Eric Lee available for the majority of the game, because that means they would definitely have a pass rush. But he, he is just a great piece of the puzzle, and he Malcolm Brown, you got to add in his return, his pass rush. I'm not too concerned about the the Patriots defensive front seven from a pass rush perspective, because I think that they have the creativity to do the linebacker blitzes and to to bring the pressure from other places. So Lee is a great part of that. Uh, But, you know, overall, Matt Patricia just deserves so much credit for how this unit's pulled together. No, 100%.
0: You know, I'm with you. I I don't think we're going to see Eric Lee as the Jonas Gray of 2017, where he shows up and makes an impact and no one hears from him again. He just seems to be here to stay. And it's been multiple weeks now. He's on pace for a Pro Bowl season in like five or six games, which is which is crazy. Um, but hopefully this can continue. I think the Patriots have done exactly what they need to do. As I mentioned all the time, divisional games are always kind of wonky particularly divisional games on the road. And whenever you can hold the whole home team, no matter how inept the offense to three points, you definitely have to walk away confident. I think that Tom Brady, whatever he was doing early on, he figured it out. He got his running game going. I'd like to see Brandon Cooks get involved a little bit more in games like this. One thing Brandon Cooks I'm going to criticize him for, A, he seems to fall down immediately upon catching the ball. I'd like to see him fight a little harder for it. And B, I don't think he's quite gotten that. It's not really his fault, but he hasn't quite gotten that that Dion Branch-esque kind of mentality and and chemistry with Brady where Brady's in the pocket, he's doing his shuffling around, and Cooks makes a cutback or comes toward the quarterback to extend the play and give Brady an outlet. I feel like Cooks runs his routes. When the route's over, he kind of stops. I'd love to see him come back to the ball a little bit more. But that's really – I'm really picking nits here because overall I can't really criticize too much – about the performance of the Patriots.
1: Yeah, this was a quality day in the office up until Gronkowski did what he did. Uh, You know, Tom Brady probably should have uh, gotten a few touchdown passes in the first half when they were close to the goal line, but he missed that wide-open play, you know, where he and Josh McDaniels were just yelling at each other on the sideline because gronkowski was open dorsett was opened and cooks was open and he missed cooks across the middle that would have moved the chains so brady did not have himself the best of games or i should say he didn't have the best of you know first halves maybe he was clearly frustrated by either the pressure or something He he just was not on his target so hopefully he comes back because next week they are playing the miami dolphins in miami which has been a house of horrors from them, not to the levels of the, the Denver Broncos, but the Patriots, I believe, has lo- have lost three of their past four games in Miami. And the Dolphins are coming off, as you said earlier at the beginning of this podcast, a 35-9 to victory over the Denver Broncos. And Jay Cutler is back. Kenyon Drake had 120 yards running and a touchdown. This defense is doing a lot. They intercepted Trevor Simeon three times. So... This, this Dolphins team, you know, the Patriots crushed them just two weeks ago, but they could just be a different beast at home. Curious to see how the Patriots take care of them. Do you think that, you know, the two weeks is going to change much, or do you think that the Patriots are going to do the exact same thing that they did in New England?
0: Well, it's tough because they're playing a different quarterback, and I think as we talked about in our pregame show for the Dolphins game, uh, what we, well, we had to do with due to our scheduling conflicts before we knew that Cutler was officially out, and one thing we both agreed on was how you game plan differently from Matt Moore versus Jay Cutler. And I think Jay Cutler makes the Dolphins offense very different, very uh, more dynamic. He's definitely more interception prone, but I think he's a smarter quarterback. He's got a better arm. I think he's better able to utilize the weapons that the Dolphins have. And so while it's only been two weeks since these teams played each other, in a lot of ways, it's a very it's a completely different team with Jay Cutler back there. And they did just put up 35 on the Broncos defense. That Broncos defense obviously is uh, a shell of its former self to say the least, but there's still a lot of talent on that roster. So the fact they can put up 35 on Denver means they know what they're doing offensively. And with the pass rush of the Dolphins and that front four of the Dolphins and Brady not being the most accurate the past two straight weeks, it's Monday night, it's prime time. Uh, I believe the last time the Patriots played the Dolphins on Monday night, it was a a pretty big beatdown with Welker catching that 99-yard record-tying reception. I could be wrong about the timing on that, but Brady usually does pretty well on Monday nights. But I'm not really taking anything from the last matchup of these two teams. I feel like it's going to be a very different game.
1: Yeah, I'm fully on board with that one as well. I'm, I'm sure Bill Belichick is saying the same exact thing, that they got lucky with a certain bounces over the course of the game. And you got to remember Cameron Wake had himself a field day against Adrian Waddle. He'll probably get Cameron Fleming or Waddle again. So, you know, it, it, all it takes is a strip sack or two, and then this game just flips in favor of the Dolphins, especially if it's in Miami. So there's there, there's a lot to take note about that. We'll have more information on patspulpit.com. We'll be breaking down this past game against the Bills and the upcoming one against the Miami Dolphins. A lot to look forward to. If the Patriots take care of business against the the Dolphins, they will be, I mean, they'll be, be the AFC East champions, and they'll also be in great position to get a first round bye and home field advantage. If this game currently holds up between the the Cincinnati Bengals and the Pittsburgh Steelers, where as of filming right now. The Bengals are winning 17-3 to at the half, so hopefully the Bengals can keep that up, and if that is the case, then the Patriots could very well clinch home field advantage in Week 15. Alec, before we sign off, do you have any final thoughts?
0: Come on, Andy Dalton, lower that ginger hammer!
1: <laughs> Absolutely, and so until next time, Alec, you have a good one. See you, buddy.